Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is Brian Lair's Daily Politics Podcast from WNYC Studios. It's Monday, September 26th. I'm Bridget Bergen from the WNYC and Gothamist Newsroom, filling in for Brian, who is off today. We'll start the week with some Monday morning politics and a couple of deadlines that are looming in the nation's capital. First, a deadline to fund the government. Congress has until Saturday, October 1st, to pass a spending bill that keeps the government open. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has spent the past week or so hammering out the details, including negotiations with West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, who'd like to include some provisions for energy permitting. Not a huge surprise, given his ties to the energy sector in his home state. We'll hear more about that proposed provision and whether it can get enough support to pass a 60-vote threshold in the Senate. And the other deadline is, of course, the midterms. We don't know yet what Congress will look like next year, but we do know that it'll look very different, particularly for the January 6th committee, which lost its only two Republican members, Liz Cheney and Adam Kitzinger, to primary challengers. Not only that, but if Republicans retake the House, it could spell the end of the committee's legal authorities to issue subpoenas, among other things. So, That's not a certain deadline, right? But because Democrats could control the House, we're just not sure yet. So what they what do they do in the meantime? The first hearing since the summer is scheduled for this Wednesday at one in the afternoon. We'll hear what they have in store for that hearing and for the remainder of the current congressional term. Plus, we'll get an update on some of those midterm races and what the polling says about what Congress could look like next year and some other topics for this Monday morning politics conversation. Joining me now to cover all of that is Susan Page, the Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today and the author of Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. Susan, thanks for joining us. Hey, Bridget, it's great to be with you. Susan, we got a lot to cover here. So let's dive in Mm -hmm. first with that spending (laughs) bill. Um, One of those deadlines that I mentioned is October 1st, the deadline for Congress to fund the government. Uh, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, along with uh, the caucus of Senate Democrats, have been working out some deal they plan to unveil tomorrow and vote on tomorrow night after sundown because of the Jewish holiday. Can you tell us about the main sticking points Democrats have been haggling over the last few days and weeks? Yes, Bridget. Well, we've been here before, right? fiscal cliff that we are always uh, seem to be standing on the edge of, as you said, the government runs out of money on uh, Saturday. But actually, I think that uh, legislative leaders uh, on both sides are pretty optimistic that they have a a deal that will pass, that will fund the government until uh, mid-December, that'll include uh, aid for Ukraine, uh, some money for Jackson, Mississippi. Of course, they've been struggling with water problems, or money to resettle Afghan refugees. What we don't know whether it will include is that provision that you mentioned uh, from Joe Manchin on, on energy permitting. He has interest in in making uh, energy uh, permitting uh, uh, some uh, an easier process. He especially has in mind a gas natural gas pipeline that runs through West Virginia, the Mountain Valley p- Pipeline. He got a promise from Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, that it'd be included on uh, on a must-vote provision like the like the continuing resolution, 
And Schumer says he's going to follow through on that, but there's every expectation that if it falls short, if the Manchin proposal cannot get the 60 votes to overcome a filibuster, that Schumer will ditch it and they'll just go ahead and pass the other elements of this spending bill. Hmm. And it seems like West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin comes up in a lot of these conversations when there is a close vote. And you you mentioned his particular interest in some of the energy provisions um, because of the projects in his state. But can you talk a little bit about his ties to the energy sector? Yes, well, of course, he's he uh, is financially uh, benefits from the energy sector in West Virginia. So does his family. It's also the, uh, a, a, big, uh, a big part of the West Virginia economy uh, and even of the West Virginia culture. So it is not new that he is standing up for a fossil fuel, for coal, uh, for, uh, for those kinds of energy provisions. And it's, it's something that's put him at odds with much of the rest of the Democratic caucus. But because the Senate has, as we all know, only 50 Democrats, uh, it gives, has given him enormous power in pushing through some uh, provisions that he's interested in. Now, he, he was also a crucial uh, element in getting through that big uh, uh, mm-hmm. bill, the successor to the Build Back Better bill, which included the biggest climate change provisions in U.S. history. So Democrats give him some credit for that. Uh, but he has often been an outlier on these issues uh, when, it, when it comes to energy in the Democratic Party. So if this provision that he's pushing uh, does fail, are there any other procedural hurdles that this spending bill will have to overcome before it's passed? There are always procedural hurdles when you're, <laughs> uh, when you're talking about Congress. Uh, and that's one reason that that uh, Cindy Hoyer, that the, the House Democratic Majority Leader, has warned members they may not get out on time on Friday. The Democrats uh, and, and actually con- members of Congress in both parties hope uh, that Friday will be their last day so they can go home and, and campaign, those who are running uh, for re-election. Um, so, yes, they've built in some time. Uh, they are prepared to stay through the weekend if they need to. But it is, you know, sometimes we get to this point and uh, it's hard to see how they, they're going to uh, pull a rabbit out of a hat and get the funding bill through. And this this time looks, a, uh, you know, knock on wood uh, for, for the federal government, looks like a like a path that is not entirely smooth, but where you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. Hmm. So if things don't go as planned for Schumer in the Senate, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has said she'll lean on something called same-day authority in order to move a House version of the spending bill. Can you tell us what that looks like and what would that mean in terms of making that October 1st deadline? You know, that's a, that's a great question, Bridget, and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what the answer is. Do you know? Um, I, I think it, I don't know. <laughs> so you and I, uh, <laughs> you know, the one thing I'll say just, gen- I don't, I don't know about same day authority and how it would, how it would uh, work in this, in this case, I will say that house rules gives, give the speaker of the house a lot of power that nobody in the Senate holds. The Senate is much more, uh, a, a body where the uh, minority party holds some, some power, uh, we, you know, we see House leaders have things like the magic minute, the magic hmm. minute where if Nancy Pelosi stands up and starts to speak uh, for one, no one can stop her until she stops. You may remember she filibustered on an immigration proposal a couple years ago, uh, much to the annoyance of, of Republicans. Uh, and I assume same day authority is something like that, but I don't actually know. 
Well, I, I, I didn't mean to give you a pop question. I, I Our very helpful <laughs> producers gave it to me, so we will... Um, when we find out the answer, I'll share it so that we both are a little bit smarter on that particular issue. But um, in terms you know, Bridget, of what I assume, Bridget, I know yeah. that you have such a smart audience that I bet people on Twitter are already informing us about what <laughs> uh, what same day authority is. And so I look forward to being educated about it. I, it, you and you and me both, Susan. Um, Let's talk for a minute about the fear of a government shutdown. You know, it always, as you mentioned, it seems to loom in these situations. It, you know, I think you you know the pulse of Washington. How realistic is it this time? And are there other potential outcomes here that could stay something like that? Yeah, I, th- I think it is likely that they will get uh, some kind of funding bill through by uh, Saturday, by October 1st. Uh, you know, they're they're they actually are they're they are reasonably optimistic that they're going to get uh, and an, a real uh, appropriations bill through in the middle of December, which means that you're not doing this uh, kind of step by step governing uh, funding by continuing resolution. So there are lots of conflicts uh, in Washington where you don't see any resolution. You know, you think about immigration, for instance, that seems to defy uh, any resolution uh, in the uh, on the horizon, but this is not a case where this this is not the worst uh, fiscal situation that we've seen. Uh, and p- people are, you know, I think a lot of members of Congress are pretty focused not on this funding bill that they expect to get through. They're very focused on November eighth and the midterm election mm. uh, and what that will mean for all of them looking at next year. Susan, let's talk a little bit about uh, the former president. Um, Certainly, we know these January 6th investigations are uh, drumming up, you know, more documents that that could be part of a criminal uh, referral. But that's not the only investigation going on. Uh, There's the Justice Department's investigation into the classified documents he brought to Mar-a-Lago after leaving the White House. And then there's this newly announced lawsuit against the Trump Organization from New York Attorney General Tish James. Um, and yet the former president's out there doing rallies again. He's reportedly been inching closer to outright embracing QAnon conspiracy theories and whipping up outrage. It's kind of a throwback, actually. Um, so what does it mean that he can be out there spreading this potentially dangerous misinformation amid all of these efforts to hold him accountable? You know, it's it's amazing. First of all, he's got so many legal challenges that you really need a scorecard to keep track of them. <laughs> there are about a half a dozen separate legal actions that he is facing and has had to defend himself uh, against. And yet, as you said, he continues to be the face of the Republican Party. He continues to be the most dominant figure in the GOP. He has redefined the Republican Party uh, in his uh, image. Uh, that's one reason people like Liz Cheney uh, are no longer no longer welcome uh, in the GOP, and this uh, this movement to more openly embrace QAnon is something that has been p- pretty chilling. Uh, I don't know if you saw the footage of uh, the last rally he did, where they played a uh, song that is like a song that represents the QAnon movement, and then mm-hmm. many people in the audience pointed one finger up in the air. Uh, their index finger up in the air, which is a QAnon sign. I, I had to actually Google it when I saw the audience doing that. I didn't know what it what it meant. So hmm. QAnon, of course, a really bizarre conspiracy theory about our politics. 
the idea that the leading figure in one of our two major parties is embracing it, retweeting a picture of himself, a mocked up picture of himself with a cue on his lapel is is just it's just pretty jaw dropping. Agreed. Um, And that brings us back to some of the other investigations and, and who will be the audience for some of the work of the January 6th committee. Um, I saw that uh, committee member Zoe Lofgren of California explained that the reason Wednesday's hearing would be at 1 p.m. is in part because Fox News won't carry the hearings if they're in prime time. But uh, so far, they have carried the hearings when they are midday. Why do you think it's important? And I think everything we just talked about before probably speaks to that. But why is it so important that the committee reach Fox's audience? Well, that is the core of of uh, the that is the core communications vehicle um, for many conservatives, for many Republicans, for tr- many Trump supporters, and for many of those who have doubts about the legitimacy of the of the 2020 election. So, no more important group to at least hear what the committee is finding out about what went on. I think that is a really smart move by the committee because, you know, the committee can't uh, overturn the election. They are, they are can't convince everyone involved, can't stop Donald Trump from running again. But the committee can inform Americans about what went on, and especially Americans who have doubts about whether there was fraud, which there was not. There was not widespread fraud in the election. Are Americans who have doubts about whether there was really violence on January 6th or was it just a political protest that went a little sour. Clearly, it was a really violent assault, an insurrection, an attack on the Capitol. Uh, that is, I think, the greatest value of mm-hmm. the January 6th committee. And the fact that they are making an effort to reach Fox viewers makes all the sense in the world. And just last question on this topic. One of the committee's tasks has been to come up with recommendations for making sure a January 6th style insurrection isn't possible going forward. Are the recommendations that they've issued so far any? Well, we we know that there's a lot of support for the Electoral Reform Act, which would make it clear mm. that the vice president cannot overturn the results uh, the way that uh, Donald yeah. Trump encouraged his vice president, Mike Pence, to do on on January 6th. Now, Pence refused to do that, but the the law as now drafted doesn't make it entirely clear what the authority of the vice president is. So this is, a, um, this is a proposal that has bipartisan support. It looks like it's going to have uh, a filibuster-proof support in the U.S. Senate. So that is one important piece of legislation that has a good chance of being, uh, of being enacted. Hmm. Let's shift gears again, spend a couple minutes talking about the midterms. Um, I'm curious what races you're watching and treating as bellwethers for the midterms and how they might change the shape of Congress overall. Well, there's, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at the House and the Senate, right? Um, and uh, it's going to be a tough, it'd be historic for the Democrats to hold control of the House, but the control of the Senate is really up for grabs. 50-50 mm-hmm. Senate now You've got uh, you've got a series that Democrats, are, that Republicans at one point six months ago thought they were going to win a majority in the Senate. They're no longer sure. Democrats aren't really sure they're going to hold uh, a majority, but they think there's a good chance they can. And the races we're watching there would be Arizona, Nevada, 
Wisconsin, maybe especially Pennsylvania, which is the Democrats' best hope to pick up a Republican seat. That's been a really uh, a really interesting race between Dr. Oz and John Fetterman, and pretty close to home for you in in uh, in Absolutely. Yeah, that is definitely one of the more interesting and, you know, at times quite entertaining races to watch in our region. Uh, it's the Brian well, neither Laird. One of, neither the, Go ahead. Neither one of them are really typical politicians, really. Really? I mean, Dr. Oz, you know, is a kind of a TV celebrity and John Fetterman, who wears a hoodie all the time and is talking about his tattoos. So voters have a choice of candidates that are not like the standard issue. And let's go to Alicia in Queens. Alicia, welcome to WNYC. Thank you. Good morning. I was just wondering if uh, any of these Republicans, these moderate Republicans who lost their primaries, thought about uh, doing what Lisa Murkowski did in Alaska and mounting a, a, a robust write-in campaign. She won, she won her, her Senate seat by, with a write-in campaign. So it gives, it gives uh, moderate Republicans an alternative you know, they, I know they don't want to vote for a Democrat, but it gives them an alternative uh, aside from these QAnon, uh, you know, people that are running for office. Yeah. Well, Alicia, th- thanks very much for your call. You know, and Lisa Murkowski won with a write-in, and, you know, she had to get people to spell her name right on the ballot. Like, they wouldn't accept a ballot that said Lisa Murkowski with, the wrong, with a letter wrong. So that was an incredible political achievement when she did that uh, in the face of opposition within her own party. Um, but it's a tough it's a tough road to go uh, to run as an independent, uh, to run as a write in. It's it, it is a difficult thing to do. Lisa Murkowski had a name that was very familiar to uh, Alaskans. Uh, so we have not seen I, I'm trying to think of even a single one of these uh, Republicans who have lost have gone that route. And I can't think of one. Um, who who has uh, you know I get the you get the feeling that Republicans who are never Trumpers who think of themselves as conservative Republicans but disagree with with uh, with following uh, former President Trump you get the feeling that they some of them want to go third party former third party some of them mm-hmm. are hoping that this will pass right that that you know that there'll be a, a new wave in the Republican Party at some point. Donald Trump will no longer be the leader. Maybe it will return to old principles. Um, uh, it's been a discouraging time to be uh, an anti-Trump Republican, that's for sure. We're going to have to leave it there for today with Susan Page, Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today and author of Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons on Power. Susan, thank you so much for covering so much ground with us today. <laughs> thank, thank you, Bridget. It was my pleasure. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.